Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening today to another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. It's free, and you can can be done through your favorite podcast app or at the website, www.culinaryschoolstories.com. So now, without any further delay, I want to introduce today's guest, Chef Utpal Digay. Utpal, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Great. Uh, so I know we have a lot to get to, but I'd like to you know, start right out at the beginning because this episode could very easily be titled Courtroom to the Kitchen because you know your journey to become a chef came after a long career as a courtroom trial attorney. So talk to me about that. Where did your passion for food and cooking come from, and how did it eventually get you to change careers and pursue cooking and food full-time? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story uh, and, a, and a good question. Um, the Instagram handle fed itself, basically, because my story is about being from courtroom to kitchen. Um, I came to Miami in 2003 as a new lawyer. I started off at the state attorney's office here as a prosecutor. Uh, I always wanted to be involved in law uh, growing up. Um, I always enjoyed arguing, I guess my parents would say. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I had a passion for in, uh, international law and human rights at first. And so I went to law school. I came out here and started practicing law in 2003. Uh, and I was good at it. I was a trial attorney. I was in the courtroom. I've tried, you know, every kind of case through, you know, capital murder and uh, down to misdemeanors. Wow. Uh, and it's 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 a great profession, and it can be rewarding at times, but it's extremely mentally challenging. Um, and uh, when you do those kind of cases, and you see that kind of thing that happens, and you're living that on a daily basis, it sort of gets into your psyche after a while. Um, so I stopped prosecuting and I tried to find other forms of law that I felt were a little less resistance uh, mentally uh, and soon found that those were also sort of giving me a general unsatisfaction in life. Um, so about five years ago, uh, one of the benefits of being a lawyer was at least I was afforded money to travel and had some resources. Mm -hmm. And I was on a trip to Colombia, actually, and I um, was staying at a uh, private island vacation villa, like a beach villa. And I just looked it up on, you know, hotels.com or something and found it. It was like a private island. Oh, this sounds really cool. Wow. So we took a little boat from Cartagena out to this island. It's a chain of islands off Cartagena. One of them is even owned by Pablo Escobar was at one time. <laughs> uh, and it's this, this very small little island. They're, they're coral islands and they were privately owned. And this couple uh, bought the island uh, and built it up from scratch into a eco beach shack resort, maybe six bungalows for couples, a nice little, you know, uh, restaurant type hall and what very basic, you know, solar, uh, all that sort of stuff. And I met this guy 
And the minute I met him, I could just see his energy. I could see how happy he was in life. And it wasn't until later that night I realized it because I pulled up during the day. I meet this guy. He's, you know, in his Guayobera and he's, you know, doing the books on the dock and everything. I said, oh, this looks pretty cool. But later that night, you know, it's really just me and uh, my wife and another couple. And he comes out with, you know, Cuban cigars and a bottle of Cuban rum. And he starts shooting the, shooting the, the you know, the stuff with us the and tells us his story. <laughs> And it turns out his story was similar to mine. And his wife were both, um, one was a high-powered attorney, one was a corporate CEO, burning themselves out working in in Medellin at the time. And they were in their 40s. And he's like, they both just said, I can't do this anymore. I've got to do something else. So they sold everything and spent the next eight years building this island resort. And now they sit there and they run this resort, the two of them. She does the food, you know, she supervises everything. They have some staff, but they live in paradise. And more importantly, they live happiness. And so I I said to myself, this guy has happiness. Like, how do I get some of that? I want some of that. And so I started thinking to myself, like, what in life is going to make me happy? Like, what would make me happier than I am now? What would bring me happiness in my 50s and 60s, which aren't that far off the line? And my mind just kept going back to food. It kept going back to food. It kept going back to how I love to cook and how I love to make people happy through my food. And that sort of that 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 feeling you get that everyone gets when you eat a good meal and you're ultimately satiated from that meal or you eat at that fancy restaurant, you, you have that like blissful feeling on you. That's a feeling that only food and a few other things can do. And And so I said to myself, maybe I can be a part of this. Maybe I can find my niche in that somewhere so that when I'm in my 50s, like he was, he was probably, I think, 55 at the time or something, right? So he's not even retirement age by American standards, retirement age. And here he is passively retired, getting you know active income on a private island that he's loving life at now. And I said to myself, you can change your life and find something that makes you happy. So that's what started the journey. And that's what brought me to culinary school. And that's what got me on my path, I guess. Wow. <laughs> that's great. So you kind of like got just burnt out in, in the law part of it. And then you were looking for, you know, some more life work balance and seeing where you're going to you know, kind of finish the, the, the life journey. And that just coincidence that you happened to be at that island and saw that? Or was there some food already there from like growing up in the family? No, truthfully, it was nothing food related per se, except for the fact that he was fully self-sustained on the island. They had their own garden. They grew everything. He had fishermen who came and brought him fish that was caught right there. And he had a lobster farm, like his own lobster. So in the morning, you go down with him, walk down. He's like, pick out which one you want. And then that's what's on your plate at lunch that afternoon, right? So, I mean, it was limited in food, (laughs) but it was an extension for me to say, maybe not exactly what he's doing, but a piece of what he's doing, I could find my happiness through. And so it sort of expanded. Well, you know, I had interest in, in in owning my own restaurant, sort of always in the back of my mind. Well, how do you expand one restaurant into something else? You know, how do you include hospitality in with culinary into a broader field, right? Restaurants do great, but a hotel and restaurant does better because it's two revenue streams. Um, and so I started thinking about how these sort of feels kind of next had a nexus together and where I could kind of fit in there. I don't know that I still know my exact part in it, but I know that um, what I saw in him was he was doing something 
that made him happy. And so waking up every morning was not a chore and doing work till the end of the night was not a chore because he was, he was happy doing it. And, you know, maybe it's not a private Island for everybody, but there is, I I like to think there's something out there for everybody that is your private Island work. You know, I used to joke when I was a lawyer and before I went to Columbia on this trip and I used to say, I'd quit law and sell bananas on the beach in Jamaica. You know, like if I could do it, I just, you know, set up a little banana stand on the beach in Jamaica and I'd be happy and I'd make my whatever, you know, a couple bucks and, you know, and it'd be fine, you know, get, get some fish and ganja and I'd be okay, you know, and call, but everybody's got their sitting on the beach in Jamaica, you know, selling bananas on the beach in Jamaica. You just got to find a way to make money from what your dream is. Mm -hmm. And and I guess that's what the real pursuit of life is. So you're leaving law, you're going to go to culinary school, you're going to pursue this dream of yours. What did your family say? What did your wife, what did, what did your friends, how, how did they react? Yeah, it was it, it was pretty ugly in the beginning, I have to admit. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of uh, blank stares. There was a lot of, you know, what about all the money you spent on your law degree? You know, what, what about, you know, this is a profession. How are you going to go work in a kitchen at your age? Uh, you don't have experience. And and, um, and and so, of course, you know, anytime you tell people you're going to quit something that you've been doing for, for so long and, and try to do something else at 40 something, um, it's a it's a tough go. You know, it's not something that sells very easily. And, um, I, you know, thankfully, I think especially my wife, you know, realized that there was passion in there. And um, and so she was the first to come on board and, and be you know supportive of the whole thing. Uh, my family, my parents came probably a little bit longer, you know, still in the process. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, you just I think it's you have to show that you are um, resolved to do something. Mm-hmm. And in, in that resolution, people see that, you know, that, that the seriousness is there. Uh, as opposed to, you know, well, I'm going to stop practicing law and I'm going to go, you know, work in a restaurant. Well, I could have said that and just got a job, you know, working hourly and, you know, working a line and done it that way. But instead I said, no, I'm going to go to Johnson Wales and get a culinary degree. I'm going to get the bachelor's in food service management so that I can have some educational background to what it is that this profession requires, because that was important to my parents being Indian. It's like Mm -hmm. education is forefront, right? So if you're going to do something, be educated in it. Uh, And so I think when I said that, and then I, you know, did the logistics of it and really figured out like, well, hey, I don't have to spend four years to do this. I can do an accelerated program and be done in two years. And, you know, um, I don't have to leave you know, Miami-Dade, which originally I was thinking about doing CIA. And, and, you know, I wanted to go out to their Napa campus and do they have a program out there. You know, so those sort of things you start weighing, like, can you do this in your life right now, given where you are with a family and kids and and all that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Um, It fit in, I made it fit in as comfortably as possible. I gave my parents sort of that like extra comfort level of saying, well, although I'm closing my law practice, I'm not actually no longer a lawyer, I still have my license to practice and I could walk into a courtroom today and argue a case if I wanted to, you know, I'm fully licensed. Now, continue to keep that up forever, just so that it's always my safety net, you know, in their minds, you know, Insurance. And, and rightfully so. I mean, listen, you don't spend 200 grand on something and say, I'm going to chuck it out the window, you know, for no good reason, you know, and, um, but the hardest thing was sort of, you know, telling my, I would say, my colleagues in the law profession was probably a little bit more of a 
a challenge because for them, they, they view the profession and where you're at up here. And everyone sort of thought like, even if I said, I'm going to open a restaurant, when you say I'm stopping practicing law and I'm going to culinary school, they're like, what, what, you know, like it, it literally, and until I started actually cooking food for some of them and, and, and they started buying my food, was it that they were actually like, whoa, wait a minute, you should have been doing this all. I mean, you're a good lawyer, but you're a better chef, you know? <laughs> so um, some of that is just, it's just a process. It's every, it's ongoing. Every day I, I, I struggle with it every single day. I still did today, this morning, right. you know, doubt from my family or doubt from my parents, doubt of myself, you know? Um, and I think it's just resolve and faith in what you're doing that really gets you going forward and gets other people on board. Yeah, and you were committed to this change, this goal. You did it the right way. You know, it's it's inspirational to people listening that if you have a goal, it's never too late. You know, and you didn't really have the time to go perfect the career in the industry. So jumping right into culinary school is a good move because you can get like, you know, a crash course and get it pretty quick. So you can get out there and start that dream. Yeah, I mean, at least if nothing, it gave me some credibility on paper because I was, you know, 43 at the time starting culinary school and I had never worked in a kitchen. You know, I never worked a line before. Most people who are in their 40s in the restaurant field have been working for 20 plus years. They're getting out. <laughs> and they're, prob- they're, they're heading out. They're probably already like an exact chef or maybe the chef de partie or something. You know, and they, they want to get out. They were looking for the corporate jobs to go cook so that they don't have to sit and get a nine to five. So it was like absolutely the opposite reaction mm-hmm. and pathway I kept getting. And, you know, I, there's a lot of times along the way where I got... Um, you know, basically laughed at or insulted by people I was interviewing with uh, for jobs because they're like, why are you here? Like what, you know, what you, it's, it's, they, they, they were almost uh, themselves insulted or like, you know, felt bad about themselves because someone with higher education was trying to get a job from them after they had struggled with whatever, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I, I can, I can tell you examples of interviews where, I spent, you know, hours there uh, only to basically be humiliated and walk out, you know, and be like, okay, fine. You know, that's, I, I just. Explaining why you did this, right? right? They probably wanted to know. Here, okay. Obviously I want this if I'm here and I'm in a suit in front of you for an interview for a chef position, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, front of house position or something, you know? So I think it took a while for people to take me seriously. And so things like Johnson Wales and getting the degrees were very helpful for that, at least to say, mm-hmm. on paper, I have some credibility. Now give me the experience because it shows like, well, I can hold a knife or whatever. And now you can train me on the rest, you know? Right. And so that was that. And, you know, I mean, it, but it's really just a, it's like, it wasn't, it was maybe part of a foot in the door, you know, it was like mm-hmm, my right. toe in the door. And so it just gave me enough wiggle room to start forcing my way and, and talking to people more and asking them to give me a chance. And, you know, I, I took the abuse, you know, I, I'd work a line, you know, I'd work saute on a, on a 300 cover a night type line just so I could get abused by the 
expediter and, and, you know, and know how that feels, you know, and know what those yeah. burns all over your hands feel like. And, you know, touch. Well, you pay, you're paying your dues, right? You're, in there, you're showing, I've got my battle scars. Yeah. I've done this. I've been in the trenches. Listen, and if ideally I would gladly give more years on that too, because the dues that people pay in this industry are significant in order to get to where they want to. And I'm, I'm respectful of that. Like people who are, you know, advanced chefs now, they've worked hard to get to where they are and they've uh, struggled a long way to get there. So I don't want to be the person who comes in as like, yeah, I was a Kush attorney for 20, 30 years. And now I'm just going to pop into your kitchen and become the, you know, executive chef or something, you know, mm. it's insulting to the people who have been there and worked hard their whole lives in a, in, in a field too, you know? So I, I, I try not, I tried never to ask, you know, like, don't treat me any differently. You know, I am just, I am who I am. Mm -hmm. I want to be here. I want to learn. I'm humble. You know, um, I do stages just to, you know, whatever, because it's like, you got to do those things to pick it up if you don't have those skills already through years of experience and, and, and time. Mm -hmm. But there's room for everybody in this industry, and there's a lot of different avenues and ways you can take this career. So it doesn't have to be the traditional. There's a lot of others like you're doing, which we're going to get to. But let's jump to culinary school now. So you're over 40. You're changing this career. You have a different mindset. You know, you're a mature adult that already has a profession, has family. You're going into school with probably a lot of high school, right out of high school students. Yeah. How was that transition and how did you find it? And it was, was it what you expected? Tell us a little bit about culinary school, at least that first six months, that first year. Yeah. Especially the first week or so was definitely a, a, an eye opening. Um, you know, I, I applied to Johnson Wales and I did their, um, it's called your garnishing degree program. It's an accelerated program for people who already have a bachelor's degree at least. Um, and so when I entered that, I was under maybe a mistaken assumption that somehow I was going to be with people who were similarly situated to me in that they were changing professions and they were also doing this garnisher degree program. And I wasn't aware, frankly, even until the very first day that I walked in, that I would literally be with uh, people who were fresh out of high school. And so that was a shock. I mean, uh, you know, I there's people who are literally less than half of my age in, the, in those classrooms. You know, I, I graduated college later than most of these kids were born, you know, earlier than most of these kids were born. Sure. Uh, so it was definitely a shock. Um, I, you know, I've tried always to be, um, I think I'm a pretty social person and I try to be humble enough when I meet new people and whatnot. So I tried to go in with a very like, you know, open and calm um, approach to things I think there was a fair amount of students who were sort of put off by me. I got a lot of old man comments, like, you know, grumbling about the old man in the classroom and things like that. Um, and I think people also thought that maybe I was given, I might be given like extra consideration or um, like, you know, maybe like my work wasn't as, as good, but the teachers were grading me better or something like that. Hmm. Um, and, and so that was a struggle, you know, and I think a lot of people initially, I think I remember my very first lab, you know, out of the 15, um, one of them, I consider a friend, you know, and, uh, and, and that's, that's good for me. I mean, I'm, I'm friendly with a lot of them and, 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 and whatnot, but there was a good handful of them that, um, you know, made fun of me or laughed at me or, you know, whatever. And, and, and so be it. Like, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. You're 17, right. you're starting off and you really don't have anything yet. 
Um, and so it doesn't bother me what you think about me, frankly. And, and I think if you take that attitude in life in general, it's, it's very helpful. Yeah. And you're there, you're there with your objectives, your goals. You have some things you need to accomplish. So the rest of it is. Right. <laughs> exactly. I was there. I knew I had to do the labs. I needed to be, you know, get in and get out. And that was my focus. And I wanted to take advantage of every resource I could get out of there. So I at least came in with maybe a perspective of like, a little bit bigger understanding of what the school resources could actually offer you. Like, did people really take advantage of career services as much as they could have, or you know, some of the other departments that they could have? And if you don't, then what? 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 That you're not getting enough money out. Of, you're not getting a value out of your tuition dollars. Mm-hmm. Career services, I bugged the HEL a lot of, you know, because they were there for you. That's what your money is paying for, you know. Um, also, in terms of just questioning and talking to the chefs and getting other information from them, I mean. You're a good example. I know I picked your brain a lot on a lot of other things that were maybe offshoots of what we were talking about in class, but you know, maybe I had some other understanding or I looked at it a little bit differently because of life perspectives and I wanted to know something more about it. And I and I took every opportunity to bug my professors and get that information I could have mm-hmm. uh, because you're there for me. That's that's a resource that we have, right? So, And from a professor's point of view, it's refreshing right. because it's not just like, is this going to be on the quiz? Yeah. Do we need to know this? You know, those type of questions. It was someone that was really going to take that knowledge and use it out there in you know the industry and use it for their you know, fulfillment well and I, I listen i was in college once the exact same age these kids were too and so i remember barely going to class and barely paying attention and just studying for the final or the you know midterm or whatever um but then i think this is a good example of where i went in with like you said with a specific goal in mind and the knowledge of how much i put into getting to that place and what i was putting aside to do this one thing, to be there for culinary school for that one year or that two years, um, I had to get everything I could out of it. Because if I didn't, one, I'd be out that, you know, 10, 20 G's of money, you know, that I spent on tuition. Uh, And two, this whole chance of taking a break and trying something new would absolutely not get anywhere if that first step didn't get accomplished well, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, whether it was uh, taking advantage of career services or like the, uh, the, the food contest that they had there, the food competitions that they had there, I wanted to do every single one of those because that was an opportunity for me to gain something out of it that I couldn't normally get in my normal life. Um, and so things like the Deering Seafood Festival uh, contact competition was one of those examples because I said, I've got to put everything into this because I this is an opportunity for me to get out there and get myself out there, you know, right. whereas some of the other kids were like, yeah, why am I going to enter this? You know, I'm like, why wouldn't you? You know, <laughs> you are nothing right now. But if you get this and you get yourself out there, then people are going to start knowing you or knowing your name better. And that's value in our profession. And, and just challenging yourself and putting yourself out there right. and learning and being uncomfortable. I mean, there's so many lessons involved in all these events that they have. Right. I mean, just the, the, the sheer aspect of creating a dish uh, and then creating it in an hour and that time frame and running that whole thing. Well, there's a bit of like that whole, you know, chef competition, iron chef skills you need to have. Mm-hmm. Think about the steps. How do I time this? What do I do first? You know, how do I nail this so it comes out exactly at the right moment? Hot. My, I don't want my food ready, you know, 15 minutes early because they're going to be getting cold food. So 
all of those aspects that planning, I actually, you know, basically planned out my recipe, I planned out the steps I would do, I, I figured out the order of everything, I timed it out once just to see how it would work out. And so when I went in there, you know, all these other kids are running around like chickens with their heads cut off, like, ah, everything's burning, you know. And I'm just like, I literally, they, they laughed because I was the, I believe the second to last person to uh, go. And so everyone started five minutes off on a cycle. And I literally just sat there in a chair with my eyes closed and was like meditating. Like, I'm not listening to all these people going crazy. I'm just going to breathe. And then like, I sat there for like 40 minutes with my eyes closed while everyone else is in chaos. The judges are watching me like, what is this guy doing? Uh, and then I just got up and I calmly did my thing. But this is like, I think a good- Well, that chaos, that chaos is the lesson, yes. right? That's the lessons that are ingrained inside of these type of competitions. Yeah. Now they should take away like preparation, mise en place, you know, getting yourself ready. Yeah. And, and, and so at least I think maybe a bit of a life perspective, you know, uh, being a little bit older gave me a little bit more perspective on how to do that better. But these are just, you know, these are all examples of like, you've got to make everything you can get out of culinary school. If there was a dish, that I wanted to try to make, uh, even if it wasn't something we were making, I was asking some chef, you know, Flores or Houghton or somebody, hey, how do you do this molecular gastronomy technique? And, and, and Chef Houghton, God bless him, would be like, come after school, you know, I'll meet you here, we'll go to this lab, and I'll show you how to do it, you know, and I'd be like, thank you, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and so you gotta, you gotta suck that up. You know, these are people who have, ex you, you know, all of you guys have experience in the field, yeah. you have years of working different, different jobs in the field, you all have, you know, different avenues that you are that you like you're a prime example like you had the knowledge of you know um restaurant consulting and i asked you a lot of questions about you know uh, restaurant management and, and, and the logistics of opening a restaurant because that's something you know that maybe one of the other chefs didn't know as well you know mm -hmm. if i wanted uh you know a dessert thing i knew how to go to if i wanted a bread thing i knew who to go to right. uh and so i loved it there was i, I had maybe what uh eight chefs as actual lab instructors but I talked to every single one of them and I probably picked their brains on their specialty at least once in the time I was there, even if I never got to cook with them ever uh, the whole time I was there. Yeah. As a, um, you know, a judge at a lot of these competitions, I always, you know, when I'm talking to the contestants or the candidates, I always tell them, you're all winners, whether you win or lose, because, you know, just by putting yourself out, you've gone and taken away something to that. But talking about, you know, talking to the chefs and stuff, I've seen one, a lot of career changers, older students that do that. And it's because I think it's their maturity level and they see it from a different perspective. But I also sometimes get the feel that they feel like they're behind, like they got to catch up. They got to make up for those lost years in the other career. Is that how you felt? Like I got to get all this. I only have X amount of time. Yeah, definitely. There's a, a strong degree of that. I mean, it's always in the back of your mind when you're 40 something that the people in the culinary field have been probably doing this for 20 years or more. You know, uh, most people who enter culinary become chefs do it, you know, either in high school, in college, or in that time frame of age, you know, they're 19, 20, 21, something like that, they start off in kitchens, you know, maybe they start off washing dishes or whatever, and they work in their way up. 
But, you know, you walk into most kitchens and there's old timers who have been there for doing that for 20 or 30 or 40 years. I worked with a guy at my first job who literally could be collecting social security. And he has been doing that since he was in his 20s, right? So Mm -hmm. am I ever going to have as much life years experience as him? No, there's no chance. But what I can do is try to supplement and focus uh, my knowledge that I'm learning that can best be suited for me, right? So culinary is such a huge field. There's so many types of cuisine and so many techniques and things you could learn. I mean, you could spend a lifetime and then some learning different stuff. But at some point, you have to say, I've got to focus on what I'm going to do or what I'd like to do and maybe try to maximize my learning of that to get as best as I can. And so that's, I think at some point I tried to kind of fine tune instead of going in with like a general soak up every bit of knowledge you can get, I tried to zone it in and get a little bit more specific on what I was looking for. And that came, I think, maybe as a little bit time went on, I started to learn a little bit more about that. I walked in knowing very little about what I wanted to do and walked out with far more uh, knowledge of that. And yet... Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the cost of culinary school, and it's very expensive because it's, you know, small classes has to be for that hands-on is buying the products, great products, quality of ingredients, you know, so there's a lot of costs that you wouldn't get in like an academic class. But do you think it was worth it now you look back? Is the return on investment there? And how do you view that like from your other college degrees and from what the, you know, you got out of it and how it helps you? Yeah, it's strange. I mean... You know, it's funny when I was saying I was going to go to culinary school when I wanted to. And I asked a lot of people in the culinary profession, uh, some were friends and some, you know, friends of friends and things like that. Uh, Out of 10 people, I think nine said don't go to culinary school. (laughs) Uh, One said go to culinary school. But the only thing you're going to really learn is how to hold a knife. And, um, you know, and and in some sense. And had had these people been to culinary school or no, they were just in the industry? Some about half of them had been to culinary school. Some of them had been to our culinary school uh, and others and about half had not. And were just, you know, trained chefs through, the, you know, working experience and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I took all that with a grain of salt, you know, and I take all that with a grain of salt because obviously there's people in different settings who come with a different idea about that. Um, the ones who said it would be a benefit to me were generally people who understood the value of culinary school beyond just being a cook or a chef in a restaurant who understood the culinary field as a greater business that involves a lot more than just cooking, right? Uh, The business of culinary is what is the real success. It's not the food. Mm -hmm. You can make good food and be totally unsuccessful. You can make great food and be totally unsuccessful. Uh, But with the right success, you can be successful with bad food. You know, um, I think the, the key that I saw and that people pointed out to me was that and, and really, if you ask me now, the value I got out of culinary school was, number one, that it gave me on paper credibility and um, a way to show that I had a base level of knowledge that my experience and my resume did not indicate otherwise, right? So at least- Which is true with many college university degrees, right? <laughs> for, for sure. And, and, and so what I guess the next point I was going to make is that it's not wholly unanalogous to, to other professions too. I mean, I'll, I'll draw the, the example of law in that when you go to law school and spend three years studying law and then you take the bar exam, you know zero, okay? You know zero about being a lawyer. All you have done is memorized laws, 
and rules and things and learn how to apply them, right? The real, the real trick of being a lawyer is what you learn when you, be, when you actually go out there in the real world. And so I guess not unlike culinary too, where, sure, we learned a lot of great basics. We learned techniques. We learned, you know, the keys to a lot of things. But, you know, if, 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 you, if I took my degree and, and walked into, let's say, a French kitchen and so are, you know, a, a British kitchen, someone asked me to make beef Wellington, I might not know how to make that on the spot or some other dish I won't know how to make on the spot. So does it teach you to make, does culinary school tell you everything there is about the culinary profession? Not at all, not even close, but it does give you that base level of knowledge so that you can go out there and then see what is it that you want to learn and fine tune your knowledge on better. Maybe that's by getting a job in that fancy French restaurant and you want to learn those. Maybe you do go to the molecular gastronomy restaurant that does the cool techniques, or maybe you just realize you want to make, you know, comfort food. And that's, and, and so, and so that's what you go and learn how to do, you know? So those things, or like for me, I mean, I, I blow YouTube up. Like I, I don't, I feel sorry for YouTube sometimes because the, the level of education and knowledge you can get on any technique, any recipe, any dish you want to make, someone made a YouTube video of how to make that and shows you with their hands carefully how to do it. So truthfully, I mean, I always say to like, now I say to myself, well, I don't know it, but I can find out. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that's the good thing about culinary school is because it gives you enough of a base of knowledge to say, well, yeah, I don't know how to make that, but I have a good sense and I can put that knowledge and that sense that I have and figure out how to fine tune that to get what I need. You got you got the foundation, right? You've, you know how things are supposed to work and then it's just applying right. it in different applications right. and different ingredients. But truthfully, I would say the FSM degree was the most uh, beneficial and, and, and helpful for what I'm looking forward to in my in my future too um the culinary arts was was a good base but the fsm i think was an absolute key part to it and frankly i think everyone who goes to culinary school should also do that um as part of their education too uh especially the the the, the new students the young students who are fresh out of high school type students and tell maybe tell the listeners what that is and why that is important why you find that to be sure yeah i saw i use the abbreviation food service management i'm sure that's um, a pretty similar degree i know fiu has one, a lot of the culinary schools tend to have one. That's the degree that's really taking, you know, what it is to be in a restaurant and giving you the logistics and the and the uh, the, the the operations behind things, or at least the parts of that. You know, obviously there's there's there could be a lot more, but um, you know whether it's you know the finance and accounting classes, right? That's a good example of something that most kids aren't going to do. But if you ever want to have a food business you better have some idea of that, you know, cost control. I, I, I learned more out of your class than probably 90% of the class. And I'm not saying that just because you're interviewing me, but I use that stuff today. You know, I create a new recipe for my restaurant and I'm using your spreadsheets still to this day, you know, oh, great. because that's all there for you. And, and so listen, if, if my 20K got me that knowledge, that's, that's good in my book because now my restaurant has a better chance of success down the road. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, 
like I said, I, I would say probably cost control and the finance classes were the most beneficial classes out of out of culinary school for me. Now that's if you wanted to go and open a business, because that's the business parts of it. But right. I was just interviewing someone else, and they took that degree, but they're really interested in science. So they had wished they had taken the two years of culinary, which is really the foundational kind of for all of these different careers. And then they wish they went on and got something like in food science or yeah. culinology, or if someone wanted to go into nutrition, nutrition. or someone wanted to go in, you know, so you could go into these different areas. But if you want to open up a business, those are the best, those, those managements, those business style classes, because now it's going to teach you much more than the food. Right. As I always say, you know, from my class, you'd be the best chef in the world and still go broke right. if you don't turn a profit. Absolutely. And, and, and that's a good caveat. This, the food service management is great for people who are looking at the business of food uh, as you know, themselves, vis-a-vis -vis themselves or their own personal involvement. Food service management isn't going to really help you out if you want to work in someone else's restaurant, unless you want to become like, you know, manager or something in, in their restaurant. And maybe some of those aspects will come into play. But the reality is, um, and you pointed out, you know, rightfully so, like there, we have other niches at our school. If you want to get in one of these other aspects, I considered the nutrition aspect for a long time because that is a really burgeoning field. Mm -hmm. And um, it does take that extra knowledge that you're not getting in those base level courses. So if I wanted to do nutrition, and I actually kind of thought for a while I went to do, you know, sports nutrition or, or nutrition in general. And I would have 100% done that because you're actually teaching the kids what they need to know to go out there and, and do that themselves, not for somebody else. I guess that's probably one of the biggest things. Like, do you look at your culinary profession as your profession or somebody else's profession that you're working at, mm -hmm. right? Like a lot of chefs, a lot of people who leave culinary school are going to just continue to work in other people's restaurants, other people's establishments, other people's catering companies or things like that. But, you know, the for me, at least, it was how do I make that mine? Right. You know, how do I how do how do I bring that into what I can do? Um, and I hope I, this I'd say this is probably one of the best pieces of advice I, I give for all those chefs, and I tried to give it to all the young kids in my classes. Listen, stop thinking you're the next you know uh, you know Salt Bay or Danielle Balud or whatever you think you are. Uh, you know, and recognize that you walking out in the culinary world and walking into a kitchen isn't going to get you very far except in that kitchen. Right. You know, if you want to get beyond that kitchen, you need to think beyond that kitchen because plenty of people go, they'll start a restaurant, they'll start working in restaurant, work a line, and they'll be there for two or three years and they're still working that same line position. Well, you know, any other career field, three or four or five years in one profession, in one position is stagnation. And you would say you're not advancing career-wise, professionally. So that's why you see, you know, people who've been working line for 30 or 40 years who are still working line. Right. Right. You know, I would say it, I would say stay a year, you know, it looks good on the resume, not jumping around. But after that, I mean, if it's a French restaurant, it's a French restaurant in five years, it's still going to be a French restaurant. So after a year, two years, you've learned it, exactly. especially when you're climbing that ladder, move on and try to learn something else. So you can build that knowledge, that toolbox, and then you can decide what you want to do in the long run. Yeah, I would say actually culinary is a really good field. Uh, employment and profession wise in the sense that it's not uncommon to move around. It's not uncommon to jump jobs. 
it's not uncommon to, um, you know, have a lot of different positions on your resume, whereas in some fields and some professions and, you know, corporate worlds, it looks bad if you're at a job for less than a year or something like that, right? They ask you a question about that. In culinary, you can be like, yeah, man, that expediter was an asshole, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and they get it, you know, they understand like that you had to leave a job because the guy who you were working with was so terrible or whatever. Well, I think they say kitchen years are like dog years. One year <laughs> in the kitchen is like seven years because it just kills you and you learn so much and you're there so much. So. I, I, I think that's a really good truth. <laughs> I didn't realize that one beforehand, but I, I'm telling you, one work, year of working the line, I was like, my body cannot take this. <laughs> <laughs> Ages you pretty quick. Really? Really quick, really quick. Okay, I'm going to take a quick pause right now and ask you, the listener of this episode, to sign up for our newsletter and mailing list. I left a link in the description, or maybe even easier, just to go to www.chefroach.com slash contact. That's chefroach, all one word, dot com slash contact. Then just go to the bottom of the page and sign up for our newsletter. It's free. Then once you're signed up, you'll never miss out on our latest news, announcements, episodes, contests, course information, or exclusive deals. So go ahead, sign up so you can get all the information and more through the periodic email updates. And don't worry, you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. The link again is www chefroach.com slash contact. So go ahead, do it now. We want you to be part of our community. And if you don't do it now, you'll probably just forget by the time this episode is over. So just hit the pause button right now and take the 15 to 20 seconds to get it done and then come back and hit play. We'll wait for you, I promise. Okay, hopefully you just did it or you've already done it in the past, or at the very least, you'll be doing it very soon. Your support of the show and the network is very important to us, and we thank you in advance. Alrighty, so now back to the show. So you went in there, you had your ideas, and you, 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 you got what you needed. Was there anything that now, looking back, you wish you have gotten? Was there something missing? Was there a class you wish that you saw there that you could have like, ah, oh, that would have been really helpful today? Yeah, I mean, I, listen, um, I have always been raised on education and the importance of education. So I believe anytime you have an opportunity to get education, it's great. And so, you know, going back to culinary after so many years, I wanted to soak up all of it. And um, if I could have stayed and done more, there's lots more I would have liked to do. Uh, you know, I did the accelerated program, so I didn't get some of the senior capstone type classes that you would have from a lab perspective. Oh, right. um, also, I finished my FSM bachelor's during the pandemic. So, you know, the last semester was partially going on until whatever March, I think it was. And then, you know, we were in class and I, I'll never forget, I was there for the last day of class. It was uh, with Professor Del Pino, it was a finance class. And he was like, all right, guys, you aren't coming back anymore. And I was like, well, what do I do? I only got you know a couple more months here and, and I'm going to lose that time because I was actually thinking, well, this last few months here are going to be my most critical time to start reaching out and 
you know, uh, getting, you know, whatever the networking contacts or those extra bits of training or knowledge I could have. Obviously, there was a, classes I'd love to do, but there's an expense associated with that. So it becomes like a cost benefit. Are you going to mm-hmm. spend money for extra classes now? Do you want to continue at taking student loans for this? Uh, do you want to extend something beyond the point that they're already willing to hand you a degree for, right? So mm-hmm. you, you're, you've got your bachelor's in FSM. Now, do you want to keep doing work and do a master's or do something else? And I'm like, well, there's a lot of information out there, but I think it's time for me to start learning that on my own, you know? Yeah. Um, At some point, you just got to go and say, okay, I have enough. Yeah. Let me go out there and start, you know, making some money off of this and, and applying it. Now, I did say that at a time where, at, at least at that time, Johnson Wales was still going to be in existence beyond this year. Uh, and so now I'm even a little bit more bummed about it because when I left, I was like, well, you know, it's great. It's, you know, right here in North Miami, you've got an alumni community, they do events. There's a way to be tied into the resources that that college could still offer you and the people that, that are still there uh, that I expected would last for a continuing period. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, uh, when you walk up on the second floor uh, by in the, in the culinary wing where they have the, the menus from uh, famous Jewu alum, re- you know, restaurants from them. Right. And All signed. signed. Right. And I loved looking at those. I looked at those so many times. And I would just, you know, be inspired and, and, and want to say to myself, like, I can't wait to be that guy coming back and signing one of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can't wait to be where those people are that my school would want me to come back and sign one of those for them or to do a, you know, guest thing of something, you know, whatever. Like, I love that aspect of it. I always do. I try to give back to like, you know, my community or legal profession or law schools. I've done a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. But I wanted that also to be available at Johnson Wales. So that probably is the thing that bums me the most about finishing was that there's not going to be any more there. Right. Well, it seems the landscape, at least in culinary and I guess in education in general, because I follow the Chronicle and I I read some of these things, but schools are pivoting and a lot of them are going under, they're changing. And you think, you know, now Johnson and Wales, North Miami and Denver, we've had the Art Institutes and the Cordon Blues before that. Mm -hmm. And then I just read that New England Culinary up in Montpelier is closing. So what do you think is the future of culinary arts, culinary education, education in general going forward? Where are people going to get this knowledge or how? Yeah, it's a good question. I honestly think it's going to rebound back. And here's why. I think that what we've noticed through the pandemic is that there's a trend of people to sort of back off from spending money. Uh, And so, you know, the people who would be registering and, and going into culinary school, starting off as freshmen, you know, their parents are probably like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Let's let's figure out what's going on right now. We don't have a job or whatever. So I think there's some of that that's kicking into it. Um, I think culinary, like what happened with law schools, was that um, there became an oversaturation in education. That is, that in the 90s, 2000s, um, education became monetized in a way that it never had before by private, paid, uh, profit, for-profit institutions. And so you have all these quasi-educational institutions opening up that give people the opportunity to get the education they were always seeking, but not, might not always be um, valuable enough to them in the end, right? And mm-hmm. I won't use culinary example, I'll use online education as, as an example, right? You see these, you know, Phoenix University and uh, Atlantis and Carlos Albizu and all these other 
you know, online universities that were created to give more people an educational opportunity. And that can be a benefit sometimes, but it's also um, a business. Mm -hmm. And it became a business of people and educators who were more than happy to collect the student loan checks from the government, but might not necessarily be as happy to qualify that with as good of an education as they could have. Uh, or they just were never able to give you a good education. And that's what the sort of the, the Ponzi scheme scam, they built that right. whole thing on. And that's why you have so many, you know, ed- educational institutions closing. So I think that's part of it. And then I think the economic downturn was the other part of it, too, that really hit hard. Yeah. I'm sure that was in progress already. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fool to think that Johnson Wales, you know, problems all happened within one semester or something like that. Right. But The trend was probably already ongoing and it was, you know, made worse by that. What I see, what I believe is that it's going to rebound, though, because Mm -hmm. once things settle down, once the pandemic settles down, it's it's like the restaurant industry. It's it's hurting now. But restaurant and tourism is going to roar back when people can start going out again and feeling safely. I mean, cruises are a good example. They're empty now, but in next year, they're going to be jam packed again. Right. Right. And some good things may come out of this. You know, people learn to entrepreneurial time. They've come up with, you know, ghost kitchens, things like that. Right. But let's go back Go back to culinary schools, though. Online school. I mean, you just mentioned YouTube. You can learn a lot online watching things. And there is already like a Scoffier online and Ruby. Right. And I've taken yeah. some classes with Ruby and they're excellent. And they're online. And now Johnson & Wales, one is coming out with an online culinary degree. So what do you think about learning virtually? Yeah, I think... Uh... I think a lot of culinary can be learned virtually. I think if you said um, today's lesson is learning how to make beef wellington, for example, I know I keep picking on beef wellington, but um, let's say that's today's lesson. Well, I don't need a live chef necessarily to show me how to make beef wellington. I could watch a video and watch it and probably recreate it from that. But if I thought that I could recreate my entire culinary education and get the same level that I got online, I I don't think that's possible. For me personally, what I got out of culinary school was the hands-on. It was a chef watching over me, telling me, hold your fingers a little bit slightly differently, hold the knife, you know, this way, or, you know, you're whipping it too hard, or you beat it this way, or whatever it is, you fold it this way. Add more salt, cook it a little more. Yeah, right, the taste, the actually tasting your recipe and tasting your dish. How do you have an evaluation of your food if no one is actually physically seeing or touching or tasting or smelling your food? I mean, I can tell you some of the kids food that was cooked, you know, you could smell it and be like, this is not right, you know, or you look at it and be like, this is not right. Or you taste it, of course, and then you know it's not right. But did they did they learn? They could still be doing it wrong, even after we told them. <laughs> they probably are. And so if you did it online, I, I just feel like you wouldn't get that. That being said, there's still a lot of culinary that you could learn virtually. Mm-hmm. I think you need key things that maybe a class or a live session could teach you. 
And then you could expand that. Like if I want to spend eight hours a day in YouTube, educate myself, I could learn a lot of things, you know? Yeah. I mean, my you mentioned cost control. I have a cost control video, how to fill out that recipe cost card we yes. mentioned earlier. It has 180,000 views. <laughs> There's a lot of people trying to learn how to do costing online. And the reality is, I mean, your class is a good example. For a person of, I'll say mild intelligence at least, like if you looked at this stuff, if you had an educational video, a step-by-step tutorial, especially for something like filling out a cost card, right? That's, there's just filling in fields. Once you understand what the field is, it's hard to get it wrong. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of aspects of culinary school that if I had known what it was, or maybe had like, um, I downloaded like the course curricula for a virtual program or something like that, and I could see the lesson plans and things like that then maybe you could put something together. But me personally, even now, looking back, and one of the number one things that people said was, you know, you, you know you'll learn to, you're just going to learn the basics. You learn to cut a knife. But for me, what I learned was I had someone there who was answering my questions and letting me know in real time what was right and wrong with what I was doing. Yeah. That's invaluable to me, for me personally. Right. I don't know that every kid there got the same thing out of that, but that's their own choice. You know, Um, it's different learning styles. That's true. Because in the kitchen, you know, you'd be working with a student and some of them like, you know, I've got this. I know it. Okay, fine. Good. (laughs) And there's others that really want the help. And then you give them that extra help. So some may right or wrong learning it on their own. They think they already know it. And others maybe want that extra coaching, you know, right there. Yeah. And so maybe that maybe that's the division line for students who should be in culinary school and not. I mean, I can tell you, and I'm sure, you know, as an honest answer, you would say that um, out of the first year, first lab semester class students that I started with, maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 percent of them finished a completion. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. The number was low. I mean, maybe it wasn't that low, but it, a handful of them shouldn't have been there and probably are still putzing along anyways, you know. So but those key five, 10, 20, you know, kids that I got out of that, that I saw, those are the kids that I'm calling now to work for me. You know, or that I know that when I need something, you have the right attitude, you have the right work ethic, and you're going to succeed. So I'll bring you on board. I'm not calling those other idiots. Right. You know, I would never hire. Right. Them, you know? <laughs> well, it's like true. I think graduation rates nationwide, and people can look those up, are like you know, fifty percent retention, seventy yeah. percent. So there's a lot of people that don't make it, and and that's a lesson right there. It's like make sure. That it's something you really want to do, but you're going to put all that cash up and all that time and everything to find out that it's just not for you. I mean, do your your due diligence. Especially for the young kids going fresh out of uh, high school, you know, college age. Like, don't go to culinary school because you, you know, you work in a restaurant, but you really couldn't get into any other college. And so you don't know if you want to do a, a, you know, liberal arts degree. So, oh, hey, I was, you know, a a cook in a kitchen. So I'm going to go to culinary school. (laughs) You know. Culinary school is 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 a trade. It's a profession. Mm-hmm. And people need to look at it like that. You go to culinary school because you want to do that profession alone. You don't go to culinary school because I want to think about what I want to do and explore the world and, you know, uh, you know, see what I feel like. Yeah. Listen, go to go to junior college, go to community college or, you know, go to state college and, you know, flunk out your first semester like the rest of us did and go back. <laughs> and, and, you know, yeah, because I tell him, I said, yeah, hopefully nobody's here in culinary school to be a cook. Yeah. You're spending way too much time, way too much money. And if, you, if you're not sure, 
don't go to school, go climb a mountain, find yourself, right. whatever you need to do, come back, schools will be there. Yeah. But you need to you know, be committed that this is a long-term career and you're learning to be a chef, an owner, a food and beverage director, an entrepreneur. You know, you're not there to learn yeah. you know, the knife cuts and be on the line. You can do that in the industry. It's funny you said climbing a mountain because that was the other nexus time that I came to realize I wanted to be a chef. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 2015, around the same time I did this. Wow. Yeah. And so when I, <laughs> you went and found yourself. Yeah, and so when I submitted, I was like, part of it was like, I'm going to change my life. I'm feeling so good. And that actually started my mind frame of like reevaluating my life and whatnot. So when you say that, I literally had to go climb a mountain to figure out what I wanted to do. <laughs> go climb a mountain, go find yourself and come back. We're always here. Exactly. <laughs> So what are you doing now? What's next for you? What are you doing currently? What do you see yourself in a year, five years? Now you've changed this. What, what's your path? Yeah. So, you know, the pandemic really put a halt on things and really changes mm-hmm. things from perspective. You know, a lot of, and I feel sorry for uh, all the kids who finished at, at that time. You know, I, I finished my FSM in May of 2020, right? So a couple months into the pandemic, we didn't have graduation. I got a diploma sent to me. But, uh, you know, for the rest of the people, I would be like, you know, and I thought to myself, what do I do now? You know, my, my restaurant, I was working, um, I had segued from back of the house into front of the house because I want to learn operations. Uh, so I was working at a restaurant, uh, you know, a very successful restaurant in town would do very well. And, you know, one day it was like, don't come back to work anymore, you know, and it was like, what, what's going to happen, you know? Um, so for the first like month or so of the pandemic, it was like, you know, everyone was just kind of figuring out what was going on. I had a daughter and wife. Uh, thankfully my wife was, uh, able to work remotely. So that was a huge benefit for us as a family. And it was about, um, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks into the pandemic. And a couple of my friends reached out to me both at the same time, like within one week, both of them were like, dude, we're so tired of cooking. We hate our wives cooking. Can you please make something for us to eat and we'll pay you for it. And I was like, and I had been posting food pics, you know, like just on my Instagram, like making some dish and a post a food pic. And so that triggered a couple of people to contact me and be like, Hey, can you make that for us? And I was like, Okay. And and like, these are friends. So at first I was like, here, they're like, no, no, we'll pay you. And I was like, wait, what? You'll pay, you'll pay me for my food. Light bulb. (laughs) Yeah. Light bulb. Because it was the first time in my life that anyone had ever said, I'll pay you for your food. Right. And as a chef, you go and you work in someone else's restaurant, you're reheating someone else's dishes, right? All you do is create someone else's food day in, day out. Mm -hmm. This was the first time it was my own unique recipe created from scratch that I had created that no one else, you could Google it. It's nowhere else on the internet. No one else has done that. It was my dish. And they were like, and so I was so hesitant, but they were like, they were friends. You know, I'd known them a long time acquaintances from practicing law. And so I was was like, okay, I gave it to him. And and literally my stomach was like dropped. I was so nervous because I was like, are these people going to like it? Is it good? What, you know, and they loved it. You had your own focus group. There's your feedback group right there, right? It literally was. And, And it was so good because not only did they like it, they both posted on Facebook or Instagram that they had gotten food from me and literally how much they loved it. And one of them like posted this like review. Awesome. And so the lawyer community saw this. And so that week two, the next week turned into eight people asking me. And then the next week it turned into like 15 and it just kind of progressed from there. And so it became people at first that I had known from various aspects of my field connected to my social media who were like, 
wow, you know, this pandemic's going on. There's not a lot of restaurants open. This is an old friend of ours. We've known him for a long time. Now he's doing this. Let's support him. And so I think a lot of people bought it at first out of sort of just like, you know, um, I don't know, throw me a bone or something, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Like, hey, you know, like help our friend out. And they all loved it. And people were like, this is great. Can you make other dishes? And so at first it was like I had like, I don't know, one or two dishes I made. And so then every week I just started expanding a menu with new dishes or, you know, new things and started kind of focusing and seeing to myself like, well, how does this correspond to what I wanted to do before? Right. Mm. So before I was always like, okay, I'm going to, you know, thankfully laws, you know, given me, you know, resources and, uh, you know, connections. And so I'm going to open my own restaurant. I have investors, I have resources, I'm going to open my restaurant. Right. So the pre pandemic idea is like, I'm going to have a restaurant. Right. And now who, who wants to open a restaurant? Right. You know, now you look at it and you say, that's ridiculous because there's no way I'm going to make money off of a restaurant anymore. How do you operate something now that you have to operate at 100% capacity in order to make your 7% margin, you know, profit margin? You're, you're not going to turn a profit. And do you need to anymore? Mm-hmm. Right? So that became the next question that people started answering with, um, you know, technology and, and, and ghost kitchens, virtual kitchens the expansion that came through there. And it it really became a new business dynamic that came out there. Whereas I'd say pre-pandemic, sorry if I'm talking a lot on this because it's very important to me, but pre-pandemic, it was, you know, you work for somebody else. Maybe you, you know, your options are you cook from food out of your home. If your, your next step might be a food truck. And then if your food truck goes really well, then maybe your next step is a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. But the difference is, you know, zero money, food truck, maybe, you know, 50,000 investment, restaurant, 25, 250,000 to a million investment, right? So your scales of investment level and your steps, there's so few in between in the old model. But today, with the change in things that have now come out of the restaurant business, there's an entirely new model that creates multiple tiers that are much more accessible for the average person. Mm -hmm. So now, instead of building a new restaurant and and spending six months and, you know, a million plus dollars for fifteen dollars to $20,000, I can build out an entire ghost kitchen in one month and have it up and running on Uber Eats. Right. And, and, and selling immediately, right? So my business model has changed completely uh, because the, the delivery dynamic has changed. And, I, and I'm sure you're seeing the statistics. You read articles on this now on the expansion and the growth of the delivery aspect of the food business. You know, it's going to be a $300 billion business in like a five years. And they're saying up to a trillion in, in 10 years or something. It's going to take over. Um, and most restaurateurs will say this. You know, restaurant delivery used to be 10% of my business. Now it's 50% of my business, you know? Um, It's much more acceptable by the public, this home meal replacement, take it, bring it back home, even if you have to reheat. Right. It's much more, people like it now. And not just, I order delivery and I got it, you know, in the normal delivery packaged food thing. We're talking about meal kits. We're talking about packages that are elaborate. And so people want different things now from food Mm -hmm. to meet what they can do given today's environment of the pandemic and everything like that. Um, I started doing private dinners for people because 
They didn't feel comfortable going out in the public, but they have their bubble of, you know, eight, maybe two other couples or, you know, that they hang out with closely that they trust and they want to do something fancy like they were at a restaurant, but at home, Mm -hmm. right? So they want a restaurant meal at home. And so that was, you know, private dinners was a thing before, but it's grown now because of uh, of the pandemic. Uh, Meal, meal kits. I do a lot of Indian food, right? Indian food leads itself actually to meal kits. And in India, the Tiffin meal service is like a fundamental part of the food business. Here, it's totally unheard of. But now people are like, wow, could you make me like Indian meals for five days? So like I'll buy it for the week and it's five meals for five days. Right. So they want everything. They want the full package. They want the, the curry. They want the rice, the dal, the, you know, the <laughs> naan and everything. Yeah, sure. No problem. It's, that's a piece of cake. But I would have never thought of doing that, you know, a year ago, you know, and and now that's a new revenue stream that's available, uh, cooking lessons and demonstrations. I do virtual Zoom uh, cooking lessons and demonstrations for people that's taken off because people are like, wow, we're at home. We're tired of cooking the few things we need to do. Maybe you can show us how to cook a dish that we cook along with you, right? So I take couples who can't cook and I teach them how to make a basic Indian shrimp curry or basic Indian curry dish, right? It's so simple. They just need the help to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for one hour's worth of work, I'm making more than I made spending six hours working a line, you know? (laughs) Uh, and, And so would I have thought about doing that before the pandemic? Probably not. But now you're like, hey, wow, what about this? What about this? And I guess maybe the lesson I would say out of this and and to pass on to your viewers and, and whatnot, too, is that be mobile, be agile, look at this and don't get stuck in what you thought you were going to do. Look for what you can do now. Because if you see that, you'll see uh, people who are having huge success doing something that six months, a year ago, they were not doing. Right. It's been an entrepreneurial time for many that saw these opportunities and were able to pivot and, and to, you know, take advantage of those. So, but so if someone wanted to have business with you, find more about it. Where where can they find you? Do you have a website, a social media? Give me give them some of those. Maybe get some more customers yeah, out of it. Absolutely, absolutely glad to. So I have two main food businesses that I'm working on right now. Saborwala, uh, which is my Indian Latin fusion comfort food. Uh, sabor being Latin for flavor, and wala is the ending in, in Sanskrit for guy who does a certain job. So if you were like the meat wala, you'd be like the butcher is the meat wala, right? Oh. Okay. So sabor wala is the flavor guy, uh, <laughs> which is what I came up with as my blend of Latin Indian fusion. Uh, it's a lot of comfort food. It's a lot of play on, um, uh, you know, uh, Latin dishes from um, different different parts around the world, Mexico, uh, Cuba. Um, I, I blend Indian flavors into Latin dishes like um, chicken tikka croquetas, as an example. I make uh, Cuban style croquetas, but I infuse, I take the, uh, I take uh, chicken tikka uh, meat that I've marinated and seasoned in the sauce. In the bechamel uh, for, the, for the croqueta, I add tikka seasoning into it. So it's actually like a creamy tikka sauce blended into wow, it. Wow, that was great. Uh, so it's, you know, just things like that where you take, 
Um, I've always been a fan of the fact that food is around the world is very similar. So whether you're, you know, I, I used to say in culinary school, a stew is a stew is a stew, right? A stew is a curry. Mm-hmm. All right. There's no difference between a stew and a curry. And the technique is the exact same. Uh, and so, you know, the similarities in food are a lot more once you start looking for them, especially Latin flavors and Indian flavors, Mexican flavors in particular, mm-hmm. cumin you know, paprika, spice, the, you know, coriander, cilantro. These are flavors that are synonymous in a lot of cultures. So I created Saborwala, which is my um, delivery uh, contest list, pickup and delivery food business. It's available in Miami-Dade and Broward. Right now we're only available on the weekends, but in the next few weeks we're going to be available full-time uh, Monday, through, uh, Monday through Sunday and uh, lunch and dinner. And what was the website again? So uh, www.saborwala, S-A-B-O-R-W-A-L-A is my website for um, for ordering my food and things like that. And there's pictures and they can see what, what there's offerings there and stuff? Yes. So every week there's a new menu that's on there. Uh, normally some of the items stay the same and there's a rotations. Uh, and so every week I try to do a few new dishes and then keep some of the classics that people keep ordering every time. Um, that menu is going to be expanding even more when I do the full launch, which is going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. What about someone that wanted you for catering? What if they wanted you to come do an event for them? Right. So my other website is uh, for my company, Samsara Creations. And that website is uh, www.samsarafood. So it's S-A-M-S-A-R-A food.com. Uh, one word. Um, Sam Sarah food. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Samsara is uh, part of the Indian cycle of uh, rebirth, karma. Uh, and so it's the cycle where you finally break free from the recycling of your soul. So it sort of connotates you enlightening yourself. And so the food concept is to be a little bit more enlightening. It's a little bit more refined. Wow. I do a little bit more uh, elegant, refined Indian food for that. Um, I do catering for uh, private parties, private chef. I do, you know, appetizers. I do, uh, this is where you'll find my cooking uh, lessons. I have a whole wing there with my Zoom cooking lessons. I'm going to be starting a new series of uh, monthly cooking lessons. It'll be a once a month series for the next six months cooking curry in a hurry. Uh, and so that'll be, it'll be a whole series and you'll learn to basically make everything and it's a hands-on. So you make it at the same time. I tell you what to buy, get you the ingredients. And so that's also on there. Um, of course, I'm available on Instagram, which is where a lot of my food is promoted through. Uh, all of my uh, businesses are promoted through Instagram. So my main uh, Instagram is courtroom, the number two kitchen. Uh, that's my personal Instagram, and that links everything that shows my personal food I make for, you know, everything I make for my family and the more refined things I make. Uh, and then I also have um, Instagrams for both of my uh, food. One is uh, at Saborwala, and one is um, at uh, samsara.creations. Okay, I'll, I'll make sure I put them in the show notes too. So if anyone's listening and wants to get back, they'll see those and they'll be able to hit the links and it'll be with your bio page. Yeah, and the goal is to expand um, the food offerings into Tampa and Orlando within the next six months. I, I'm looking at Ghost Kitchen Operations at both of those locations. Uh, and you you started this off by asking sort of the one-year, three-year, five-year plan. Um when I look at the ghost kitchen model and I see what they're now doing with the business and what I'm getting contacted with a lot now is not just, 
kitchens that are landlords who want to have kids to own restaurants. They're actually uh, restaurateurs who want to be invested in your business. So they want a partnership deal with you where um, once you sort of prove your worth, they'll help you uh, partner with you, help pay for marketing. But what they also do is they take you into all the other locations they're opening. So a lot of kitchens now, Reef is a good example, Cloud uh, Kitchens is another example, where what they're doing is they're saying, we're going to open, let's say, 10 restaurants, uh, 10 kitchens or 100 kitchens. But we want to find the seven best businesses, and then we want to take them into all of the kitchens we're opening across the country. So you're getting scaling across a geographic range by involvement in one location. It might cost you extra, you know, upping your anti-investment in each one. But what you can do is initially invest in one kitchen, show your success through one and then take that exact same model and literally plunk it down. Like franchising, right? It's franchising through ghost kitchens, basically. And so my- and Isn't Reef out of Miami? Uh, don't they use parking garages and things like that? There is. So kitchens? Reef is using parking garages. They're using uh, office. Uh, they're using um, warehouses. I have warehouse owners who are contacting me saying, hey, we got warehouse space for rent. What do we do with this? And I say- Spend 50 G's, buy the restaurant equipment, build this out, and you'll have 20 tenants in six months. You know, <laughs> uh, And so there's a big business in this, too. I've actually looked into opening my own space out of my own investment money just because there's value in that, too. But from a business perspective, what I see is Miami has a great market for this because it's a Latin culture in and of itself. So while the Indian market isn't as big here, the Latin market is. But what I want to do is expand this into other areas that have either big Latin markets or big Indian markets or both, hopefully, ideally. So looking at like New York, New Jersey areas, California, Southern California, Northern California, these are communities that have large Indians already and also have a good Latin base as well. Mm -hmm. So they seem like viable options to me to open something like this. And so ideally, the goal is instead of opening one restaurant, you know, pre-pandemic, the goal was I'm going to create my restaurant and then I'm going to create my restaurant empire. (laughs) And I'm going to spend, you know, 20 years to build five or 10 restaurants across the country or whatever. I'm now a restaurateur, you know, uh, that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of time. I can do that in about two years. um, And a fraction of that money, this under this model. And so what that's what I hope to do. I do want to one day have my own restaurant. But that's when the business model reopens and the world reopens. And we kind of forgot about the pandemic and all that stuff. And what about that island? You're going to get that island that all started this too? (laughs) Yeah, that's the retirement goal. That is the retirement goal. Um, It's expanded because the the concept is not just so bare bones as what that guy did. But um, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I've actually stayed at uh, various private island type resorts uh, across the world. There's, you know, Belize and, you know, Mauritius and Maldives and all these, you know, even the Bahamas now has them. There are high end resorts that I call them the honeymoon resorts, right? Where people will go spend their honeymoon and they'll spend 10K for a week to have a beautiful villa and uh, butler service and top of the line, everything, because that's their one experience for that, right? Those kind of places, um, if you can combine it with Michelin star quality food, 
combine that aspect with the localism and sustainability of the food that's source, the source of the food, right? But then also make it high-end. Develop, instead of beach bungalows like I've stayed at, develop like vacation villas that people will want to spend, you know, 10, 20 Gs a week for to have their family come and stay there for a week and have everything catered for them from head to toe, you know, uh, full, you know, maid service and butler service and all their food and everything. Yeah. So that aspect of it, the food aspect of it is still there. What I want to do is one day have that, but have a place that's, you know, a high end uh, villa resort place um, and, and I have literally priced out islands. I mean, you'd be surprised. It, it sounds expensive. But when you learn that for, you know, three to five million dollars, you could buy a really large island off the coast of Panama that's within 20 minutes, uh, a boat ride from Panama City. Wow. You say to yourself, wait, maybe this is not so unreasonable, you know? And so I think to my, and so how does this expand, right? Over the years, I tell my, you know, friends that are lawyers and doctors about my dream and they say- Oh, investors. <laughs> exactly, right? So now I hear people say, I'll give you a million dollars right now to build as, as part investment if I can go stay there for three weeks out of the year in the owner. Oh, yeah. Heck Yeah. I can find you 20 guys right now who will put in that million dollars. It's like a timeshare. You invest, you can stay. Exactly. So you create one or two villas that are private on the other side of the island for the investors. You create a resort, you know, that's high end for maybe, you know, six, 12 couples at a time on the other side of the resort. That's my retire to goal, right? I'm 45. I just turned 45 a couple months, a month ago. And I, I someone asked me, what's your, where do you see yourself in 10 years? That's your 15 yeah. year. Well, I mean, you're years. right. It's 2020. So, you know, you had to ask yourself, where were you at 2010 and where are you at 2020? And I had, I had to ask myself, where am I going to be at 2030? Right. So I like to say I'd use the next five to eight years to really establish myself in the food business under whatever avenues that can be. Uh, maybe that's virtual. I create a lot of high-end food, so I do want to one day create an elevated, refined uh, Indian restaurant. I believe I have a, mm -hmm. a strong take on that. Um, but then when I look at that, I'm now 55, 10 years from now, and I'm, I'm th thinking to myself, yeah, you know, the grays are popping up a lot more and, you know, I'm getting these years. Are well, it's good to have those goals, those goal posts and you shoot for them. And, you know, and if you're a little bit under that, at least, you know, you have that goal and, um, you know, it's, it's good to be ambitious. But let me let me as we get close to the end here, let me ask you, what advice would you give to someone now that's just starting? They don't have that time restraint of those 10 years. They're just getting into this career. Someone that's going to culinary school or getting into the culinary industry. What would you give them advice, guidance now, piece of advice? Yeah. I guess the first one comes back to just my general perspective on changing professions, right? There's a huge value in being thinking long about what it is that you want to do. Um, I went to college and because it was because I had to go to college. You know, I got a degree because I had to get a degree. I went to law school because it was either go to law school or go to medical school or engineering school, right? <laughs> and and so I did a lot of things because I was like, ah, you know, maybe this is what I should do. And I wasted time in my life because of that. And that's not good or bad. But what I can say is that what's better is to think as much as you can about that and really like in your 20s, I know this is hard. I, I don't think I would have been great at this then, but all I can say is 
try to think about it and talk about it with people who are double your age, probably, and who are looking at it from a different perspective than you are. Get a mentor, right? Find someone that give that advice. Yeah. Even if they're not your mentor, just they, they don't even have to be in the culinary field. They can just be people who have worked mm. and lived life for 20 plus years or something, right? Because people's perspective is different. Some people, you know, they grew up in their 20s and they thought they were going to be whatever. And then life hit them and they ended up being something else, right? So those people are going to tell you, God, be mindful of what it is you wanted to do because I got so far in my life and wasted. They might make you think about those little bits in life that you didn't think about before. Um, I had a few of those lessons that were given to me in my 20s. And those are the lessons that are the most value to me that sort of set me on the track of thinking about something more. Um, and, you know, for me, my family grew up in India. We were very poor. My parents were very poor growing up. They came to the U.S. on hard work and made a lot from themselves because of their hard work. And so my dad always put the perspective of understand where you are and who you came from. And and that was a lesson he took me to India and I had to see for my own. But those lessons, those moments, like you might not accept it, but be open to it and and, and don't be ashamed of whatever it is you want to do. You know, maybe it's what you think, maybe it's what your parents are telling you to do. Maybe it's what you think you want to do. Maybe you really want to do something you think people are going to laugh at you for, mm -hmm. you know, or laugh at you about, you know, if you want to go to clown school and become a clown, great, do it. If that's your passion, if you want, I had a friend who became a magician, right? Because his dream was to do magic tricks. And we laughed at him, but that's <laughs> his passion, right? Yeah. And he's great at it, you know? So I, those are the sort of things I say, like, Follow your dreams, mm -hmm. find out what your dream is. And, and then if you, if you know it, if you have an idea for it, reach out for that and don't be afraid to fail. Uh, failure is part of the game. It's, it's totally acceptable, uh, but keep trying. I guess that's, a, that's the best thing. Um, go to culinary school if you really want to be, a sh if you really want to be in the food industry. Um, but if you don't, that's okay too. Go find out what it is that you want to do. But that thought process, thinking about that will make you sure one way or the other. And for those that are sure about culinary, you will end, leave with a new resolve for what you want to do and a new passion for what you want to do. Uh, that is what fuels me on a daily basis. Great advice. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. I want to first thank you, Paul, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciate your time and your insight and your honesty. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I was so glad to be here. Hopefully, you guys get something out of it. Yeah, thanks. I enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye now. All right, Chef. Good seeing you. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207 835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. 
Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.